Well then, it's been a while, hasn't it? My name is Kyle Andrews, and welcome to the start of Series 2 of the Mental Wellballing Podcast, a podcast in which football's association with mental health and well-being is explored with the help of a guest from within the professional game. There was never any set number of episodes that Series 1 would reach, I merely went with the flow throughout, but eventually, for a combination of a struggle to recruit guests while I was struggling with my own mental health difficulties, and therefore lacking the confidence to approach people, it came to its conclusion after 16 episodes. A pretty decent run if you ask me. While the listenership might seem small to many, a few episodes reached 500, but it was mainly around the 150 mark. It was the positive feedback from both guests and listeners that really encouraged me, that made it all seem worthwhile. I really enjoyed doing it, so it's great to be back. Things are going to be a little different, but only a tiny bit. It will no longer be weekly, and episodes will simply be released when opportunities arise to speak to people and interviews have been recorded. Less pressure, and hopefully some content that isn't rushed. We've also got a nice new graphic. I'd love to start put some effort into that, but Canva is a lifesaver. It's a bit brighter, and hopefully gets across the style of the podcast a little more effectively. It views mental health positively. We get that positive message, particularly around notions of self-realisation, overcoming moments of self-doubt, and pushing forward from there on, from our first guest of the new series, Charlton Athletic midfielder Alex Gilby, who was kind enough to speak to me after recovering from a nasty bout of COVID, while also managing his recent entry into parenthood and a strong golf addiction. Among other themes, we chat about the regret he has over his attitude for his childhood, despite making it as a footballer, coping with being the relegator, suffering three relegations in three seasons with three different clubs, how his relationship with teammate Connor Washington has helped him throughout his career, the importance of having unity in a dressing room and what that means for both mental well-being and performance, and how he suffered a crisis of confidence during the first six months of his time at Charlton and his success in overcoming that. Alex spoke excellently, being both really open and offering some great insight into some of the more nuanced elements of professional football. That's enough of me waffling. I hope you enjoy our chat. I'm really pleased to be joined by my guest this week, Alex Gilby. Um, I think before we start, Alex, uh, I think probably people want to know how you're getting on. Uh, for those that aren't aware, Alex has been uh, hit quite hard with uh, COVID, but he's on the mend now. So uh, how have you been getting on? How are you feeling? Yeah, really good to be fair, mate. Um, obviously, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, feeling really good. Um, started to up my stuff outside on the grass the last week or so. So um, be back hopefully in about 10 days, two weeks. Um, it's been a long, hard road. A um, bit worrying, but obviously got through it now. So I'm just looking forward to kicking on and getting back with the lads. I mean, obviously that, the timing as well happening just as pre-season was getting underway. Like that combined with obviously the actual physical elements of it. And I can't imagine how tough that must have been. Yeah, really tough. I think obviously the timing is terrible, obviously be a good time to get it but obviously the timing I had I missed the no, large no. chunk of pre-season uh, obviously come back to training still felt rough um, just thought oh, just ride it through but then obviously there was a few complications which were worrying but obviously I've been lucky enough and what a lot of people don't know is the support and care I've had from Cholton the doc the physios and I can't say a bad word about them they've been absolutely brilliant with me Obviously, thanks to them, I'm on the mend and now looking forward to getting back with the lads. And instead of worrying about COVID, being scared about COVID, I'm now looking forward to trying to get back in the team and being back with the lads. I guess the thing for, for you as an athlete is that you'd probably notice the things that aren't quite perfect, that aren't quite right, more than someone who, you know, life doesn't depend on them running around all the time. So I guess the sort of the recovery process for you is potentially a lot longer and a lot harder as an athlete than it would be for someone else who, who isn't involved in sport. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Because obviously, I I knew I was really rough from from COVID. Obviously, I couldn't get out of bed for ten days. Um, obviously, people I've spoke to and people who have had it told me it was only like a couple of day thing. So obviously, I really struggled with that. And then obviously, come back to training, lost a lot of weight. Um, come back to training and just the most basic, simple exercises which we do every day without even realizing we're doing. We do them. I was really struggling with my breathing. And then luckily the doc has been absolutely first class and he just said to me straight away, like, we need to look into this, like we ain't taking any risks. So thankfully we did and we got to the bottom of what the problems were. And now it's all sorted. Obviously, it, like I said, it was really scary. It was really worrying. Um, in the beginning, when I first got COVID, but well, before I got COVID, I was a bit like, I'm really fit, I'm healthy. I'll be all right with COVID. Really like, as bad as it sounds, I was, I was one of them people. Um, and then it just absolutely hit me for six. So it's opened my eyes to it. It's made me, obviously, I was planning on getting the, the vaccines anyway, but it's made me want to get them even more now. So, and I just, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So in a way, I'm glad I've had it and I've experienced it. So now I know how serious it is. So I'm a lot more cautious now. So yeah, but all that matters now is I'm on the mend. Um, I'm nearly back to full fitness and to be back with the lads. I think the main thing there is that it's good that, you know, you you have recovered from it and you're on the mend and I speak for every other, everyone else as well. Really pleased to hear that you're, in a much better place now yeah thank you mate i appreciate that um so if we just move on to the uh, the more mental health side of things um what i like to do when i start these interviews is ask a, a really open question just to get an understanding of what your perspective on this is um so there's no wrong answers what does the phrase mental health mean to you um when people say mental health to me i think I think of words like it's a tough question. Like, it's a tough one to answer because I think everyone has a different view. But I think I think of the words speak, listen, talk to each other, because care for each other. Because I feel like I think everyone has a bit of mental health inside them, and I think it takes certain things to have a spark. It's like comes come to the head, or and I just feel like you don't know what's going on in someone's life. So just even a little hello or good morning and just asking someone how they are, you don't realise how far that goes. And I think obviously where has changed so much over the years and now it's getting bigger and bigger, which so it should be. I just think it's, I think the world is finally in a better place where people can actually talk to each other and get the help and care they need. So it's really just having an understanding of how other people might be feeling and having a sort of caring attitude for you. 100%, yeah. I think... Um, like I said, I think everyone's got something inside them. Everyone needs a chat. Everyone needs a hug. It's just some people, um, especially in the football industry, some people feel like, oh, I can't tell him my problems. He might judge me. And I think that's wrong. And I think but whether it's someone plays football, um, whether they're a postman, whatever they do, I just think it's nice to just be nice to people and care for people. You've mentioned it there that obviously in the football industry, it can be not so simple to, to be open about things. So just sort of taking a step back to when you were growing up, maybe when um, you've not gone through life experiences and aren't so quite aware of, of people around you and yourself, was, was the sort of the, the mental pressures, the mental implications of, of putting a lot of effort into being a professional footballer, something that, that crossed your mind when you're growing up, or were you quite carefree about that? No, yeah, I think I was quite carefree, really, because obviously once when I was young, young, and I first started playing football, I don't. I didn't really understand what it was to be a professional footballer. I didn't understand the route to get there. So like, I just thought you play football to a certain age and then you turn professional and then you're on the telly. That's all I thought of it as a kid. But then it's, I think once I sort of got offered my scholarship when I was 13, 14, so quite young at Colchester, 
then I thought, oh, you have to do a scholarship. So you have to earn the right to be good enough to get a scholarship. Then you have to be good enough to get a professional contract. So it was until I was older, I actually understood what it meant. So I think it was till I was about 14, 15 when I did get offered my scholarship. It was a bit like, um, yeah, carefree. What will be, will be. Didn't really think too much into it. Just was happy to be with my mates, playing with my mates. So, yeah, I don't think none of that really affected me because where I wasn't so obsessed with how to become a footballer because I didn't know how to become a footballer, I didn't really think of in, into it too much. So do you think then you had, well, would it be fair to say then when you were growing up, you had other interests, you put more effort into things like, you know, schoolwork or you had, did you have like a, a backup plan or do well, as you were sort of saying there, that being a footballer wasn't necessarily uh, an all-encompassing plan. So were there other things in your mind about what you might wanted to be when you were growing up? No, not at all. Like, all I ever wanted to do was play football. Like, I never thought... <laughs> Fair enough, like, Yeah, like, I never thought I thought oh, I could do this, I could do that. Like, I always wanted to be a footballer. That's all I ever wanted to do. Because I didn't know how to get there, I didn't overly think this is what I have to do to get there because I was a bit like oblivious to what people have to do to get into the game. And that's another problem what happened with me where I got my scholarship so young and I was so highly thought of at Colchester, I think... I was like, I don't need to do schoolwork. I don't need to do none of this. And because all I wanted to do was go out with my mates and play football, I sort of, all the important things in life, looking back now, I should be like, I ain't doing that. And that's, looking back, that's my biggest mistake in my life is what I had done and how I treat my school life. And if I could go back and change anything, it would be that 100%. So would you say that that point in time, sort of around 14, 15, was maybe a time where, Maybe you weren't realising it in the moment, but like reflecting back now, you can sort of say, I'll probably put football above maybe my, my mental well-being, it's definitely above other things in my life. And I was too too heavily focused on it to a point that maybe it was a bit, a bit unhealthy. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was in school, everyone looked at me as if to say, oh, he's the footballer. And I sort of lived up to that. So I didn't go to school. I'd bunk off classes and go play football. I thought, I don't need this. Like I started, started to sort of blip. And actually now looking back and reflecting over the last few years, I've done a lot of reflecting of my school time and all growing up. I feel like obviously I was putting too much pressure on myself to try and live up to this footballer tag because I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to do the lessons because I thought I'm going to be a footballer. I don't need this. So obviously not realising at the time I was putting so much pressure on myself to become a footballer. Um, in a way, I had to become a footballer because that's all I knew. So I put all my eggs into one basket without realising at the time um, and it's just luckily it, it sort of paid off and I've got to where I'm at in my career at the moment. So really, I'm lucky, like looking back. So let's say hypothetically then, whether you want to say at the age of 16 or the age of 18, if you've been released then and there wasn't another route back into football for you. Um, I mean, I think we can say that anyone in that scenario wouldn't wouldn't cope initially. It'd be a really hard blow to take. But do you think that, well, how would you if you respond to that? Do you think there was another path for you to go down? Were you given the right advice in you know around that time especially between sort of 16 18 um when it you know when you are on a on a scholarship and that sort of age where you're moving towards professional football or a route out of football um so do you think that if you did you know if the if the route was closed off you'd have been in a little bit of a predicament no 100 percent. i think so yeah i think um i would have had to probably go back to college um get some great or get some grades to go to college, get some grades and just sort of find something I was interested in as much as football. Um or whether it go to work for my dad on a building site. It's just you just don't know. And I think where I was so young and obviously naive, I never thought that was going to happen to me. And like I said, looking back, I'm 
so lucky it didn't because I would have been 18 years old, nearly becoming a man and thinking, wow, what do I do now? Um, so I'm lucky everything sort of happened quick for me at a young age with scholarships and professional contracts. And maybe that played a part in it. Um, being involved from the first team so young, so I didn't even have to do the college work or football and stuff because I was with the first team. So it was a big gamble to take. And obviously at the time I was living it, so I didn't really realise what I was doing. But obviously looking back now, it's a bit like, whoa, you've, you are lucky because it could have ended in tears. I suppose then that given the opportunity, if you were speaking to, let's say, uh, you know, a, a, an academy player at Charlton, you'd tell them to do the opposite to what you've done and put some oh, more focus into other areas of their life. A hundred percent, yeah. First thing I'd say to them is make sure your grades in school are perfect. And then when it comes to being a scholar and then doing the college work through the club, I'd say make sure like you do everything in your power you can do to do that and make it the best you can do it. Um, because obviously I know people in my youth team who didn't quite make it to the level as professional then used them um, degrees whatever they was in the youth team what we got qualifications and went to America and gone all over America playing football out there now three four of them are still living out there and living a living a great life so it's luckily they're the ones who knuckled down and done the work so the, the advice I'd give to people coming up now is make sure your schoolwork is perfect and same as your college work when you are uh, a scholar the, the sort of path that you've been on um, to sort of realising these things is quite an interesting one in, in the sense that you, you become a footballer but you can reflect back and think maybe the, 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 the process and the journey that I went down wasn't quite the right way of doing things and something that I hear a lot when I talk to people is, is, is the word sacrifices and there's quite a, quite a few footballers that are really sort of keen to emphasise that like, I made these really big sacrifices when I was growing up these were the things that made me be a professional footballer but I think it's it's probably finding a balance between, yep, you've got to put a lot of dedication into becoming a footballer, but at the same time, you can't ignore the other aspects of your life. Not only from a practical sense, if the football thing doesn't work out, then you're in, you're in hot water. But also, if you put in that much pressure to just be a footballer and that's your single focus, your mental well-being is going gonna, is gonna to suffer from that. Um, and I think what, what that creates is that the young players growing up, they do think that they have to put a lot of pressure on themselves to become a professional. They do have to put all that focus and make those sacrifices. So, you know, how do you get across the point then? Not this necessarily responsibility, but but let's just say you're having that conversation with a younger player. How do you get across the point if they're saying, I, I want to put everything into football? How do you sort of get across the point that look, you don't need to do that? There is a limit um, where you can enjoy other things in life and you can develop yourself as a person I just think like looking back and from my experiences I think like why wouldn't I do schoolwork? it's what half eight till three o'clock what's that five hours so if you can't take five hours of your life to focus on one thing and then you've got all evening to become a like, practice 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 to be a footballer like there's enough time to do both where I was so like obsessed and chase something what I was trying to live up to I thought these five hours I don't need these I need them doing this and sometimes I wouldn't even play football it's just like oh, I don't need to, I don't need to go to school it's fine so it's just like and it's and obviously since growing up and becoming a man it's like I've learned how to balance my life whether it's now playing football and doing things away from football it's, but if back then if I would have just balanced my life in like school and football I like it would have been perfectly it would have been perfect but instead I just got so focused on one thing and then that's always going to cause 
mental health problems, too much pressure. If you're just focusing one thing, one thing, one thing. So I just think that life's about balance, and it's just once you get the balance right, I think it's that's when you enjoy your life and have a good life. I think it, as well, it, it's good that, that people like yourself are sort of open enough about these things, saying that these, you know, the yeah, I'm a professional footballer, but maybe the path that I went on wasn't quite right. Because I think then that the the, the next generation coming through can can learn from that and change the way they perceive things, change the way they approach football. And I think I'm, from the people that I've spoken to, I think a lot more people now are, even if they have made it, are saying, yeah, maybe I didn't quite take the right route I should have done and I've got a bit lucky. So, yeah, I think that that your sort of experience there is, is in whatever way it's put across, is going to be really beneficial to someone because that's, you know, yes, you've made it, but you still got a little bit of regret for, for how you got to that point. Um, and just sort of taking the next step on to... The, the point where you became a professional footballer because for a lot of people that transition from academy football into professional football is uh, a bit of a tough one um, and at the start of your career you had a, a loan spell at, at Newport County and you know, you're with, with Connor Washington for a while and uh, mm. I spoke to when he was on the podcast I spoke to him about that um, and he was saying that like it was really his sort of, his sort of path there was different because he's come from non-league football but he was still very young and he was saying that like, it was really difficult to adapt to a dressing room full of professionals who, you know, this was their, this was their livelihood. Um, and on top of that, it was very sort of laddie banter that he wasn't necessarily quite quite used to um, on top of the, the, the general pressures of professional football. Um, so how difficult or easy was it for you to adapt to a first team changing room? I think for me, obviously, me and Connor speak about it quite a lot, to be fair, because we went into the same change room at different times in our life. So it was like, I found it obviously a lot easier. Like we spoke about me and Connor. I found it a lot easier than Connor because I just loved, lived and breathed going to training every day in the youth team. And I was put with the first team from quite a young age. So like 16, 17 training with the first team. So I was used to being in the change room full of men and full of football banter. And obviously, so, for when I went to Newport, it wasn't really an eye-opener how everybody was and how everybody acted. So I was like, I've been around it for sort of six months now. I played a few games in the first team at Colchester um, when I was 17. And then it was lucky that back then it was the loan moves were any time in the season. Obviously, it's been changed now. So if you don't go winter to winter, obviously you can't go. So back then it was any time. So I, I only went on loan for six weeks towards the end of the season because... I'd sort of outgrown under-18s football and there weren't under-23s and that then it was reserve football and then because it was towards the end of the season, there was no reserve football. So I was just like, I needed to get away from the under-18s football because I was not getting nothing out of it. So I feel like where I'd been with the first team, like, it was easy for me to go straight into that. But then looking at the bigger picture, it's like playing for the under-18s, people ain't got mortgages to pay. We're just worried about collecting our 90 quid a week and trying to all go. We used to go Nando's every night of the week. I don't know how we afforded it. And that's all we <laughs> have to worry about. But then when you're going into a changing room of lads who need to win no matter what because they've got a mortgage to pay, then it's like, well, like, I need to be at it today. Like, I can't just have an off day today. Like, I need to be at it because these have all got kids. Like, so it was, it, that was a big eye opener for me that way. Yeah. So it wasn't so much sort of the, 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 um, like the, the sort of ultra masculine environment that kind of was a sort of overwhelming for you. It was that sort of transition from I love playing football and that's it. And I like having a laugh with my mates to hold on. 
this is something quite serious as people's livelihoods that I'm playing for here. That, that was a transition for you. It was a little bit more tricky. Yeah, that was what it was for me. Because um, like I said, it was just in the youth team. And obviously the, the two or three cultures, the games I played was like, nothing was ever really about money or stuff because it was a good level with League One. But then obviously when you drop down to the conference and people, like I said, have got kids to feed, mortgages to pay, one wrong move on a Saturday um, could cost them a lot, like the win bonus, the money what goes towards their mortgages. But obviously for me at the time, I was on a professional contract, obviously not on good money, but like I was like, don't really matter if I make a mistake, but it does matter because it's I'm like killing my teammates sort of thing. So that was a big eye opener for me and how much it meant to win. And like, cause I've always been loud and cocky from young and going into the first team environment. It was quite easy for me because I'd give it and I'd take it back and I didn't, mind people taking the mick out of me um so going into that changing room was fine like i think me and connor used to get abused every day um we were the two boys who got all the that's, sticks that's, that's what that's what he um, told me <laughs> mainly him yeah, like, <laughs> yeah uh, anything me and connor done i think they found something to take the mick out of us but obviously <laughs> looking back now it's me and connor are so much better off for it like it's like we're used to it now so like that's why I always urge young kids, like, don't sit in the under-18s, don't sit in the under-23s, go and play men's football and become a man. Because what I learned in them six weeks and what I achieved was what I think personally what made my career to what it has been today. So if you'd just gone under-18s and then, you know, sat on Colchester's bench for a season, maybe got a few minutes here and there, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have had the same beneficial experience as that little spell on loan where you were playing first-team football at Newport. Yeah, no way, because I think when like, I could sit on the bench every week, go around the country, it's really cosy, think I'm a first-team player, bit, live at home, like no worries in the world and think I've cracked it. But actually going out and playing men's football and getting some of the bollockings I got from the manager and actually finding out what it means to win, that's what definitely shaped my career to how I am now because I'm a winner now and that's what shaped it to this day, definitely. Um, you sort of mentioned about being a winner there, but something I was just I was looking at was that you suffered three relegations in three seasons with three different clubs. Um, yeah, the so relegator. The relegator, lovely. Uh, so <laughs> there's a couple of things I just wanted to pick up there. Um, so first of all, how difficult was it for you as an individual to to find motivation when you were keep finding yourselves in these sides towards the bottom of the table, and you know sort of thinking what's the point of me performing when every game you know we're, we're not winning and everything seems to be going against me no matter what side I'm in so how, how difficult was it to given that you'd gone through it one season a second season a third season to to pick yourself up and go again as an individual I think the hardest one for me was the Colchester one I think obviously I come through there from young 12 13 I was cap- I captained the club um and still now like Colchester's like Everyone's got the soft spot for their old teams, but obviously that's the one that made me the person I am today. So that one hurt the most because I pl- that's where I played a lot of games and like I said I was captain and it was like, this is my club, like this can't happen to my club. So that one really hurt me and I thought, and obviously I moved that summer to Wigan um, and it was a part of me thought I need to get my club back to where it, sh- where it belongs and where it should be because I sort of felt like it was my fault. Um but then obviously a part of me was like, well, I need to move on and better my career sort of thing. So it was that's one of the hardest decisions I've made in my career, I think. Um, 
And then I feel like the week and one, I was injured for six and a half months with my ankle. I had a few complications. So I did it. Obviously, I was part of it because I'm a team player. Like I'm not going to say, oh, it was all them lads. They're rubbish, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't really feel a part of it because I missed a large chunk. That one was a sort of obviously hurt me because no one wants to get relegated no one wants to lose money and no one wants to have that on their CV but it was like a lot different to the Colchester one but then the MK Dons one I find it was just a terrible season from start to finish we had a really good team and then it was like I played the first I think 25 games of the season and then got injured with my knee um, I think I done, felt my knee first in November and because obviously the where we was as a team in the league I just battled through it and obviously, that's why that's why the knee was as bad as it was. I think I played from November to February. So, looking back, the hardest two for me was the Colchester and MK Dons one. Because obviously, the MK Dons, it was like playing for injury. Because I felt like I had a responsibility. I was captain of the team. I had a responsibility to keep the keep the team up. But like you said, it was a bit like after the MK Dons one. I was a bit like, what is the point of this? Like, I haven't enjoyed three years of football. I remember a new manager coming at MK Don's Paul Tisdale and he was like, what do you want out of the game? And I was just like, I don't know. As much for me to say this, and it hurt me to say this, I was like, I just don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't know if I want to, can do this again. And it wasn't until I met him and really spoke to him and, and he come in, it was made me actually fall in love with, with the game again. So yeah, it was a tough three years, really tough, but I think it's made me stronger now and I feel like, like I said before, everything happens for a reason and now I've got that on my CV. Obviously, it ain't pleasant reading, but it's one of them things. Like, obviously, if I could change it, I would, but it's stuck there forever now. <laughs> you sort of mentioned it there then that it wasn't so much that, you know, you were ever really doubting of your ability, but it was there was a mental cloud over you and you did need to have that. So you said you mentioned Paul Tisdale there. You did need to have that conversation with someone to sort of restart your career and get yourself going again. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, obviously, before that, I've never really spoke to, like, someone before, like... Uh, Someone come into the club like a like a what's it called a mental health coach. Uh, they come into the club and the physio was like to me, "Do you want to speak to him?" And I was a bit like, "Nah, I don't need to do that. Like, uh, not for me that." And he was like, "Why not?" He was like, "You got spare half hour, an hour, just go and have a chat with him." And I was just like, "Ah, oh, because I like you, I'll go and have a chat, sort of thing." I had a bit of banter. A guy called Jonathan Zinnerman, um, and I was like, "I don't need this." And until I sat in that room and had a conversation with him for about an hour, I was like, "Blimey, I needed that." It's amazing so how many people me, say that. Yeah. Without me all the time. thinking I needed it, I was like, come out of there. I was like, wow, like, I couldn't believe how good it was for me. Um, so, obviously, I'm thankful for Simon Crampton, the physio MK, for sort of bullying me into doing it. <laughs> Again, sort of thinking about the, the, the mental aspect of being in a team that, that quite bluntly loses. Um, how difficult is it to, to keep a, a cohesive dressing room? Is it the, the case that you start losing, there's you know, there's splinters break off and people are blaming each other, all of that sort of like siege mentality takeover where you, you come closer together and try and win for each other? Um, I mean, obviously, you've, you've had three different experiences, so it could be different across those three. But just generally speaking, you know, is it difficult to maintain a positive environment in the dressing room, um, sort of positive relationships with, you, with your teammates when you're in those situations? Yeah, I think it's really difficult. I think what happens in every changing room is people go off into little crowds everyone has a little bicker um, little bitch they say oh we should be doing this we should be doing that he ain't doing his job and I think that's just natural but I think once that happens you ain't getting out of the mess you're in and obviously like, the, I think the problem in football is when players start breaking off and saying the manager ain't doing this the manager ain't doing that 
people seem to think they know everything. And obviously you see that a lot in football. And I think whether the manager's doing this or the manager's doing that, I think this, what we say is not going to change what he does. Using Cholton as an example, when I first signed for Cholton under the embargo and stuff, the pull the lads had, so I was new to it, the pull the lads had together to stay through it and ride out that storm, I was like mind blown. I thought, of course, if we can do this, we can do anything sort of thing. Like, I had that feeling. So with that squad of players and the messes I've been in over them three seasons, we was never, ever, relegation was never on the card because of how Paul and how strong and how much everyone respected each other. So I think that's the hardest thing in change room is to get the change, uh, football to get the change room right. I think I've been in some really bad dressing rooms, but I've also been in some really good ones. And I think that's what makes a football club successful, having a really good change room and lads all pulling in the right direction and actually caring for each other and wanting to win together. Because Actually, I was going to ask, because you have, you have, we've mentioned the relegations, but it would only be fair to say you've, been promoted, you've had some promotions as well. It's not all been bad. Um, so I was going to ask, um, I don't know if you've really just sort of answered it there, but what would you say are the big differences between a dressing room that is, is about, to, about to be relegated and a dressing room that, that comes together and achieves promotion? Um, you know, is it is it simply the case that you get results and it brings you together, or is it the other way around that you come together and you get results? I personally think so. Looking back at the MK Dons one, the change room we had the year we got relegated, it was a bit like ah oh, down tools, everyone's against each other, like just a not a nice change room to be in. Like everyone had their own little groups, um, and then. The following season, the first year, like so after the relegation season, the season we got promoted, we never necessarily had the best football team-wise. It wasn't as good as the team we had before that got us relegated. But what we had was all of us were on the same page. We all cared for each other. We all loved each other. And when all them three things go together, you're getting promoted or you're going to be there or thereabouts. So that was the biggest thing for me, the biggest eye-opener. And I said that to a few the manager and the chairmen in the past. It's like, we were more talented last season, but we got relegated and we ain't got as much talent this season, but we've just been promoted first time, first time, first chance of asking. So I feel like the biggest thing for me in a change room is getting the right characters in and people are actually on the same page and actually care for each other. So that's in- interesting because one of the things that I hear quite a lot is that when players are always kind of sort of very suspicious and very uncomfortable with, with talking about things outside of football, beer being open and honest with each other, having a sort of casual conversations and stuff. And, and because there is always that sort of cynicism that when you do open yourself up, maybe show a few flaws here and there that someone's going to come in and undercut you and exploit it. Um, but what I do hear is that when people are comfortable enough to open up to each other and when you've got those good relationships in the dressing room, there's this sort of idea that actually it improves your performance because if you care about that person who's playing on the other, on the other wing or playing alongside you in midfield, you're going to work harder for him because you care about each other. Um, is, that, is that something you'd echo that if you do have those good relationships, you're going to work hard for your, for your teammates? Oh, 100%, yeah. I think, um, say me and you were playing midfield together and me and you got really good God, relationships. God, no. Let's not, let's not, let's not <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> yeah, but like, you've got my back, I've got your back, so you, you are feeling invincible. <laughs> I'll stand still. You do all the running, all the passing. Done. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got each other's back, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So especially when you've got eleven players on a pitch with that same mentality, you're like, we ain't losing today. And then all it takes is two or three to be away from the crowd and half pulling around a different page. It's all going to fall down. You can't carry two, three players. You need everyone in the, pulling in the right direction. 
And you kind of touched on it earlier, but we, I just wanted to sort of, of move on to this and, and move on to you moving to Cheltenham and that period at the start of, of all the uncertainty. Um, so the, the first thing I just wanted to cover, um, probably giving him too much uh, attention now, but when I spoke to kind of Washington for the podcast, um, he was saying that what really sort of helped him was the fact that he moved at the same time as you. You already knew each other. You already had a good relationship. And it, it sort of meant that you were in it together and then you joined in with the the, the larger group. Uh, is that something you'd echo that if you'd gone in, that, gone in there on your own, it would have been a little bit more, a little bit more uncomfortable, but because Colin was there, it was easier to sort of settle in. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, um, well, I already knew a few lads already from Cholton, from obviously clubs I played at, but I feel like, and I've said this to Connor, I feel like if it wasn't for Connor being there with me, going through all the can't sign, can sign, all that stuff, I probably wouldn't be at the club. I feel like I don't think I would have taken that type of risk um, alone, but because I knew I had a mate who I'm close with, or I was in daily contact with, although he was driving me mental, um, (laughs) because I had that sort of, partner with me I thought like if, if he's willing to do it I'm willing to do it with him so it it helped the whole situation happen where I feel like if it was just me on my own and I had no one to bounce off it would have been a bit like not sure I'm going to take this risk here because I'm, I'm the only one doing it sort of thing but because I had Connor with me and there was two of us we were like right, let's just do it mate let's let's get this over the line and get it sorted so was there a sort of stage there where you were convincing each other to do it yeah I think so it was a bit of sort of like are you like? Are you sure we're going to do this, or are you sure this is the right decision? Like, which is, is normal because obviously what the club situation was in. So it was a bit like constantly talking, constantly saying, thinking. Obviously, you know it's like people's livelihoods on the line, so it's like people constantly thinking the worst. So um, I definitely do think if me and Connor were doing this separately and going in alone, I don't think neither of us would have been in this situation. But I think because we had each other's back, sort of thing, and. I was doing it, then he was doing it, then he was doing it, and I was doing it, sort of thing. We we done it, so I'm thankful I had that to with Connor, where other people didn't. Do you know what I mean? So they might thought, oh, I ain't taking that risk. And the other thing as well with that is that obviously the, the start of last season, um, for the first month of actually the actual season, actually playing football, there was still that uncertainty sort of hanging over yourselves, uh, hanging over the club. I think you, what you'll probably say is that what you mentioned earlier about how everyone came together really helped, but how difficult was it to go out there, play football, turn your attentions off from everything else that was going on and just focus on performing to the best of your ability? Yeah, it was really tough. I think, um, because obviously there was so much outside noise and um, I think what the players done was blocked all of that out, especially from me coming from MK Dons, like a stable club obviously at the time, had all these big plans of where they wanted to go to me to up and leave where I was genuinely really happy. I loved my time there and I, I had a really good time there. So for the abuse I was getting from their fans to then coming in thinking I might be out of a job in six weeks. It was a bit like it was daunting and it was thinking I can't overly think about this because I've got to perform on a Saturday. I'm new to the club. I need to show the fans I'm good enough to be at such a big club. So it was constantly a hundred things going around my mind at a time. But because all of a sudden when I go into a football pitch that's my escape it was easy to just say do you know what for this 90 minutes I'll forget about that and then it's like as soon as you get off the pitch you're like, oh yeah this is actually going on so it was really hard to juggle all of that but obviously look at the situation we're in now and you think it's probably the best risk I've ever taken and thankfully it's paid off well it's meant you've got to talk to me so it's not all good yeah that's true actually yeah I think that <laughs> <laughs> uh, you sort of mentioned about how football being being your escape and stuff was that 
harder for was was it harder for football to be your escape in empty stadiums? You know, whether that was at the start of last season when you're trying to distract yourself from all the all what's going on and just generally um throughout the the, the, the rest of the season. Um was it harder to harder for you to motivate yourself, harder for you to to you know enjoy it? Um was it a bit of a slog by the end? Um because you you know it's I don't think that that's I think that's something that other people have expressed. So I don't think it would be anyone to sort of be critical of, of you if you said that. Um, but just was it a, a, a sort of you know, a, a bit of a sort of depressing, sort of underwhelming experience to go through playing in front of empty stadiums and not having any atmosphere around you? Or alternatively, you just switch off from that as well and you just focus on playing football? To be fair, I like obviously during it, it was just like switch off football now, let's go to work sort of thing. Right, let's get the job done. But looking back now, now we've had fans back, I absolutely hated it. It was like <laughs> playing pre-season every week, thinking like, Joe, it's like, and I'm not, I'm one of them type of players. I make a tackle, I make a good pass or score a goal. I feed off the energy of fans and like, that's what really gets me going. So then when someone makes a good block or a good tackle, it's just a bit like, all right, like there's, 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 there's none of that sort of passion and life it's just an empty every stadium we went to was just empty like you don't realise how you're playing at the Valley or you're playing at Hull Stadium or MK Don Stadium which are very 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 good stadiums but when there's no fans there you're a bit like oh it's just pretty sort of like there's no life in it and I never ever thought in my life I'd have play an actual football season with no fans please God we don't ever do that again because it was it was it was horrible I think it was from everyone's perspective. And like one thing I always say, like I've said it too much now, but I just keep repeating it, but just because of how, especially after, so at the time of recording this, it's been just a, a little less than a week than, than Charlton, uh, since Charlton beat uh, Crew uh, for the first win of the season. And the atmosphere at the end of the game was, was incredible. And that's what's been, as someone that's still been in the ground, that's what's been missing for me, is at the end of the game, win, lose or draw, whatever, both teams just, slump off, knackered, and there's no none of that sort of rapport with the fans, none of the, you know, the, the clapping, the bouncing back between fans, cheering and celebrating stuff. It's just been, it's been a morgue. Just walk off, that's it. It, was, it yeah. felt like it didn't matter. And like, with fans, I've missed that so, so much. And even, even sort of the first few games of the season where results didn't quite go chance away and there was a little bit of disappointment, just, just having that interaction between fans and players just felt, it, it was, it was just, it was healing almost. It was just fantastic yeah, was, to hear. Yeah. That's the perfect uh-huh. word to use. It's actually healing. Like I think I said this to the boys loads. Like if you look back at many games last season, if there were fans in that stadium, like the crew game, um, games like that, there's no way we concede late. We win them games. But because it's a bit like all backs against the wall, crew looking good here, it's like we ain't got that sort of that passion that people gin us on. So you are for keep going back, keep going back, and then are oh, they scoring? It's a bit like just takes your life out of us and really looking back that's what never got us into the playoffs that one game which is so frustrating to score 88th minute to then think right, we're in it to then think that's what's cost us so I just feel like there's so many times last year of opportunities we missed because we never had the backing of like the old 12th man what people say now they're back I just feel like in, we're in them situations again I feel like we're going to be like wow like and hold on or get a win or get a point where we didn't we wouldn't have got last season because it was just lifeless and like you said like it'll never be like that again because it, it was horrible but also during last season you had a little period where injury kept you out the side and you just weren't you weren't 
being being picked and it was sort of just on, on the outskirts a little bit. And it was mentioned at the time that there was a little reference to you having some problems away from football. Um, I don't know if you want to speak about them, but I, do you just want to reflect on that period um, of, of either what went on or how you were feeling? Um, yeah, I just feel like obviously I got injured quite early on. Um, I had a problem with my Achilles where I thought, I got told it was tendonitis sort of thing. And I was I said to Bo at the time, I said, I can't not play because of tendonitis. Like, it's just, I'm not, that's not keeping me up. So, and obviously I played the crew game, played the Doncaster game, obviously come on at West Ham and then something just weren't right with my Achilles. And then obviously we found out I had a tear in my Achilles. So I was playing for six weeks with a big tear in my Achilles. Um, and obviously I had to come off for it. And I feel like, I feel like because I started the season okay, done well in, in, in the first two league games, I feel like I got rushed back from injury quite quick. It should have probably been a 12-week injury, but I think I was back in eight weeks. And um, that was all on me, by the way. Like, I was forcing myself to get back quicker. Like That was everyone else telling me to slow down, but I'm a, quite an erratic person. The only thing I do is sort of 100 mile an hour. So I was constantly trying to push myself to get back. Um, and I definitely, looking back, I'll come back too, too early and then, you know, it's like you come back, you're there to be picked. And obviously I got into the team and then just couldn't find my rhythm, find my form. And I started to really overthink into it. So like little five, 10 yard pass, which normally is just second nature, which I've done probably 20 million of them in my life, started to become, whoa, I don't know if I, I, better, I better be sensible here. Better be like, and my type of game is like driving past people, passing, shooting. I never done none of that. It was so simple, backwards, side to side, backwards. I took away what makes me an okay player of playing on the front foot, beating people. So as soon as I take all my strengths away and start playing safe, just no wonder I wasn't in the team. Like I was bringing nothing to the team. And it was just a quite a hard time because obviously being at my previous clubs, I was always loved and people knew like the ability I had. So then when I first come to Cholton and... I didn't show people how good I was or what I expected from myself straight away, which is natural because I do it with Arsenal players. Like it's what humans do. I was people getting on my back and then I stopped taking risks. I stopped wanting to try and affect the game. And I thought, oh, I'd rather just keep it safe because then I won't get moaned at. Like oh, people ain't going to abuse me tonight. And it definitely affected me more than I thought it would because I've never experienced that before in my life. So I think that was a really, really hard period of my career. I think it was probably the hardest period of my career of signing for such a big club and being so excited and happy to be here to them thinking, oh, what have I done here sort of thing? Like, And then the more I tried and the harder I worked, the worse it got because I was putting so much pressure on myself. And obviously looking back, the travelling from Milton Keynes wasn't helping. Obviously that was all on me. Um, that was my own fault. So yeah, I just think, in the bigger picture, I think everything just was just like a terrible situation to be in. Like, I had no confidence. Um, my performances were terrible. Um, and all I wanted to do was impress the fans and impress the people at Cholton, the players, the staff, the manager, of the ability I do have. And by doing that, I went the complete opposite way. And quite frankly, I was terrible. Like, I brought absolutely nothing. Um, and I'll happily admit that because I feel quite I'm quite a truthful person. Um, so yeah, it was just, it, it, I must admit the first six months of my career at Cholton were an absolute disaster. So from, from the understanding there is that that was pressure that, that you put on yourself because you sort of believed that people on the outside were looking at you differently to how 
you've been looked at previously in your career. So while there might have been some voices that were genuine, like the majority of the the lack of confidence and the pressure that you were feeling and the the anxiety that you're feeling was was self imposed. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I feel like where I was putting so much pressure on myself to show people how effective and how good I could have been, it just ended up absolutely killing me because, like I said, I take risks, I try hard passes, I want to shoot from distance, I want to get into the box. But I thought, whoa, I ain't doing that because then, so I want to play it safe. And then as soon as you play it safe, you're taking all my qualities away from me, which, um, and it's easy to say, oh, I got played out position, I got played here, I got played there. But at the end of the day, I should be able to adapt and do different roles and still perform at a good enough level where I bring something to the team. So I'm not saying, oh, so-and-so made me play defensive midfield and it's his fault. No, 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 it's my fault because I've played all of these. I've played every position on the pitch growing up and since being a professional. So I can't blame it on that. At the end of the day, looking back, it's all on myself and I wasn't performing to the level I should have been at. Um, and that's just the, the, the simple answer of it. It was all on me. And obviously, like I said to you before, and like you just said, because I was putting so much pressure on myself, everything got worse. So I was over trying. Then I was trying too hard. And it was just, just felt like every week was getting worse and worse. And obviously where I wasn't in the team for a few months, it made me think, do you know what? Just let your football do the talking. And that's why I feel like I come back in such a better place. Is that one of those things then you'd say that, although obviously you you wish it didn't happen, that looking back, you're quite glad you went for it because you're not going to, you probably wouldn't repeat those same mistakes again. That if you're in a sort of position where you were doubting yourself, you wouldn't go full throttle and put all that pressure on yourself. You take a step back and try and reset. Oh, 100%. And like I said to you before, I've never been in a situation like that in my career where it's been like, he ain't good enough. He shouldn't be playing for us. Um, I've always been sort of loved and people have seen what I can do and what I can bring. So it's always been like, if I've had a bad game, it's like, yeah, but we know what he can do. So I've always sort of been appreciated for what I did. So then coming into a new environment and not showing people the standards I hold and how good I can be, it was a shock to the system to think, all the leads are saying how bad I am. Like looking at the bigger picture is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me because it's now made me realise like, I've experienced that and I know now I'll be so much stronger for it. And it's another situation where it's just like, I didn't know I needed that until I had it. So now it's like, whoa, that's made me stronger. That's a tip sort of thing. So what was it that made it made it click? What was it that made it, you, you, you change from that pressure on yourself and feeling a lack of confidence to, because I think it's, it's fair to say there's a general agreement that the, towards the end of last season, you, you stood out, you're excellent. Um, not to make your head grow any bigger, but just sort of, <laughs> is it the general consensus that you did you did come back into the team and play well. So, is there anything that you can you can pinpoint that 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 made that change? I mean, the obvious thing there is the change of manager, and I know you spoke quite well when Nigel Atkins came in about the effect he had on you. Um, but you know, is was that the sole reason, or was was there more to it than that? Do you think? No, I think um, looking back, it was like. I just, I just said to myself one day, what is the best thing in football? Scoring goals is the best thing in football and winning games. So I remember one day I went to training just for, I'm just going to try and score as many goals as I can today and not think about anything else, not think about anything else, just score as many goals as I can. And I remember Pratt's used to just always love it. And me and him played in a five-a-side, in the five-o's we'd done at training the game before. And I reckon I had about 40 shots and all I could hear was pass the ball. 
because obviously he's on my team and he kept wanting me to pass to him. And he said to me after that, I, I love that from you. Just keep shooting, keep running with the ball. Like, and st- straight away, I was like, cool, like practically saying this. That's all I want to do now. That's all I'm going to keep doing. And obviously, the more I was scoring, the more I was getting confident again and enjoying my football, trying things what I used to try. So it was just slowly ticking. And obviously, it happened with Nigel then getting appointed. Obviously, he see me for what I can do and put me in sort of positions on the pitch where I can really affect the game. So I feel like, everything just sort of come together at the perfect time. You think that you needed, so I think your first goal was Sunderland away. Um, yeah, Sunderland so away. I remember yeah. because you didn't celebrate because you got clatter into the face or something. Um, <laughs> do, do, do you think that like that you needed that moment? Although, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a single goal in a game, you know, in, in over the course of a 46 game season or whatever, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, they're not necessarily the, the biggest moment. But do you think that for you, in like in particular, you needed that moment to sort of go right. I'm I'm back to where I should be now. Let's let's kick on. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like I had a chance against Doncaster. Um, I thought Jaden was going to head it and just too flat footed. Didn't react instead of um, I tried to react instead of being proactive. I tried to react. It just hit me and keeper saved it. And it was like that was your chance there. Um, and then it was just eating away at me all week, eating away at me. Um, I think I was in the six-yard box. I think it came off my stomach and everyone, everyone was like, what on earth is he doing? He hasn't changed much. Um, but then, obviously, played at Sunderland um, and scored. And it was, it was like, thank God that's happened sort of thing. But after the game, I was like, I've been waiting for that feeling um, for God knows how long. And it's Because obviously, I had chances in other games and it was like, didn't quite fall for me. Good blocks rubbish shot sort of things like things happen in football so once that finally hit the back of the net because I fluffed the original chance I tried to make out to everyone I flicked <laughs> over the defence's head but I completely echoed and it just fell into my path so like I just needed that bit of luck to get me up and running and I feel like it come at a perfect time I feel like when it all come together I thought yeah like this is it's, it's, it's happening now sort of thing That's obviously I think that it's why that there's a lot of people now that are really excited that, uh, that you're on the, on the road to recovering your way back soon because they performed at the end of last season and I think that hopefully people hearing the sort of the, the the period before that and the little struggle you had will make them sort of maybe appreciate you even more. So I, I'm glad you were able to speak about that and explain that really, really well. So thank you for opening up about that. Um, there's just one one last little thing, and it is a little thing that I want to touch on, uh, because recently you have had a little thing. You've, you've had, a, had a daughter. Uh, I just wanted yep. to... A lot of the sort of footballers that I speak to, so they... they, they are really sort of keen to highlight how much having a child changes their outlook on life and changes the way that they perceive football as well. Um, so I just wanted to know what changes that obviously having having a daughter has, has, has had on your your outlook on life and the the way that you look at football. Have you taken a bit of pressure off yourself and seen that there's more to life, or you know, has it? You know, is that the? Did were you already having that perspective? And this is just you know you're just proud to have a daughter, you know, but, or, you know, are there these little side effects that mean you can look at life in a different way? No, hundred percent. I feel like I look at life completely different now. I feel like, and this might sound so silly. And so I'm one of the lads. I love being with the boys. I love always being with my mates and I'm always sort of at the training ground till three, four o'clock every day playing darts with the lads or just taking the mick out of each other. Cause I just, like I said, I love being with the lads. And then now it's like, I'll have a game of darts, but I'm sort of straight in the car when I'm allowed to leave and I want to get home because I've got, not saying that I never had nothing to go home to, but it's like now I'm like, I want to give all my time 
to my daughter. I don't want to be hanging around, staying away from home. I want to be at home with her and enjoying all the little things that come with it. Um, I just feel like it's definitely made me grow, grow, grow and uh, mature more. Obviously, I'm, I'm quite mature for my age. and But having a, a daughter has made me feel like when I'm not at football, I can switch off from football. I was so obsessed, which, which, which is massive. Game. Which is massive. Yeah, but I was so obsessed with watching every game on the telly and everything to do with football. Where now it's like the little things I want to be a part of, whether it's just bathing or what the, could be the most littlest thing. It's just which you think, oh, I didn't even watch football last night, and you don't even realise you're not doing it. When before it was like I have to watch that game, no matter what standard it was, no matter what level, I never ever switched off from football. Where now I feel like I've got an escape and something else to look forward to going home from football and not waking up and thinking oh, I can't wait to go back to training now it's like oh I can't wait to feed the baby sort of thing so just the littlest things what have given me an escape which I didn't know I needed like I've said a few times now which I've got now I'm like whoa like, what What did I do I was so obsessed and no wonder sometimes like the period of last season got on top of me because I had nothing else to focus my energy on it was just football 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 I guess the only downside is you've got less time to play golf now yeah, that's the only problem. Yeah, so there've been some early, early morning rounds, which um, obviously now I'm still, get, still getting them in. Still getting them in. Yeah, still trying to make it pro, but I just don't think I'm quite going to achieve it yet. But no, like even that, I've only been playing golf sort of since the first lockdown. Obviously, it was the first sport you was allowed to do because it was outdoors. I played a little bit when I was young, and I thought there's nothing else to do. I'm going to play golf, and even that now is, is an escape from. Yeah, yeah. It's just being out like turning your phone off and just spending quality time whether it's my dad, my brother or my mates. It's just time to just recharge and forget about football, forget about what we've done on a Saturday or on a Tuesday. It's sort of, I'm here now sort of thing and just enjoying my time. And I think that's what I've done really well from becoming a dad to, and even before that was playing golf sort of thing, I've learned to take my way, myself away from football and actually enjoy my life instead of being 100. Like before, like, on a Saturday night, we'd lose and I'd just like be in a bad mood. When now it's like, obviously I'm angry, but the time, the time I've got from the ground to home, I've switched off because it's like, this little thing needs me now. I can't just be moody all night and I'm, I've got something else to put my energy into. So it's definitely um, been for the best and I, I've, it's, it's been three months already and I absolutely love it. So it's, it's, it's really exciting to be there. That's really good to hear. Really, really nice to hear. Um, I just got one final question just to wrap, wrap everything up. Um, again, it's another really open question. No wrong answers. Um, just sort of the only thing that comes to mind and I'd love to hear it. From, I think you've been through quite a, a few little different sort of experiences with regards to your mental health in football. So you might have some sort of different insights and stuff um, on what works for you, what might work for other people. But like, if there are any sort of things that you, you were to suggest that, that football could do to improve the way uh, either perceives mental health in general or supports players to, to be able to improve their mental health? Um, what more do you think football could do in that regard? That There's a lot more football can do. I think because it's quite, it's a manly sport and it's like, I had your feelings and emotions. I feel like there's a lot more things people could do to bring people into the club and talk to people. And like, it's all right. It's okay not to be okay sort of thing. And I think like in football, sometimes it's like, I'll oh, just get on with it. Like, this, this, but it's like I feel like there should be more awareness made in football because I was saying this to Tracy the other day actually and Adam Coda physio we've got so much power as footballers 
and responsibility so we could save things and so many people listen to it or jump onto it so I feel like there's a lot more players can do whether they the way they speak about it and the way they act about it because then it, it might not a hundred people could listen to it and be like oh it's not for me but just one person it could get through to and it could completely change their lives so I feel like as a club and as as players I feel like there's a lot more what can be done um while speaking out because I feel like you could change one person's life and that's that could be the turning point for that person to then go on and think you know what it's all right to be able to talk to people it's all right to let people know I'm down or show your emotion so I feel like there's a lot of responsibility in football for us to live up to and actually make things happen and actually speak to people to show like we're here like people are there for them and it's okay to not be okay so as much as it is about getting sort of mental health in support for for you guys as footballers it's about what you can do as footballers to help other people yeah 100% I think we're lucky at Cholton because there's so many people there um, in the staff and in the management and around the club who are so caring where other clubs might not have that Um, other clubs I've been at it was a bit like just football 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 it was none of that but what I've noticed since signing for Cholton I haven't been here long what I've noticed though about signing for Cholton is whether you're talking to someone who works in the kitchen and cooking our breakfast and lunch to someone who's the first team physio or the manager, everyone wants a conversation with each other. There's people walking through the training ground every single day. And just by saying hello, I've never met so many people at a football club like I have here before at Cholton because everyone just talks to each other and asks how each other are. And I just think that's what makes Cholton so good, whether it's someone from the under-18s or the women's team, or, like I said, the chefs. Everyone is just everyone knows each other and everyone just talks to each other. And I think this is so powerful. So, like, with the new signings coming in, after a few days, you don't feel like a new signing because everyone's so friendly and everyone gets on with each other. And I think that's the most powerful thing we have as a club. And that's why I feel like we are a sleeping giant and we will be successful. It's not. It's just a matter of time. It's not whether it happened. It's, no, it's going to happen. It's because everyone is like pulling in the right direction and it's just easy for everyone to get along with. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and that's so, so good to hear. And it's also something that I'll echo in that everyone at Charlton is definitely up for a conversation. Everyone will talk to you. Everyone will take you seriously. Even even me, the little insignificant photographer, like there is, there is always someone that wants to have a conversation and like, the, it, it's you know you're definitely not exaggerating that is is the case from 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 my experience uh, it's such a uh, a positive environment and one that encourages that sort of communication um which as you saw saying it, it does make a massive difference right alex i've kept you long enough um thank you so much for giving up your time thank you so much for being so honest about things and some really interesting insights there good luck with the the uh, the last little bit of your recovery hope you see hope to see you back out on the pitch soon uh, and look after yourself and once again thank you yeah I really appreciate you having me on mate um, I enjoyed that to be fair I think I like him talking about myself to be fair so no it was good um, <laughs> absolute pleasure mate yeah top man mate once again I can only thank Alex for being such a great first guest his openness was really appreciated and I think there's a lot to learn from what he said I've got one other interview recorded and another interview to record next week so we'll certainly have some more episodes to come in the short term and we'll see what happens after that that the Mental World Balling podcast is back and here to stay. In the meantime, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at WorldBallingPod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at K underscore Andrews Photos. And don't be afraid to ask any questions you might have about the podcast or myself. Keep well 
keep safe and keep talking about mental health.